Welcome to the Donmar on Design podcast series. I'm Kate Tiernan, and this is our opportunity to talk in depth with some of the UK's leading theatre designers. Donmar on Design is a festival celebrating the power of design in theatre and the designers who make it happen. Anna, thanks so much for coming in. I'm really excited to talk to you about these objects that we've got on the table in front of us at the Donmar. Um, and we're sat in this um, quite quiet room um, with a piano and I saw when I came in there's some hair clips on top of the piano so I feel like there's a bit of a story there. Um, but yeah, as a designer, it would be really interesting for us to hear what sort of thoughts or what images are preoccupying your thoughts at the moment today as you came here. Um, I guess I'm just about to open a show <laughs> um, in uh, at the Bridge Theatre, um, which uh, is a Martin McDonagh play, and it's set in an uh, attic in Copenhagen. And um, I think see, what I've spent uh, a lot of thought on in the last few months is the subtle differences of, you know, tiny uh, details or character or atmosphere that we might find in. Um, all our little European countries kind of, you know, you sometimes think things are the same and then it's so interesting how subtly different they are. Um, so, um, you know, what what makes a, a Danish attic different to an English attic or a mm. German attic? So I guess I spent quite a lot of thought on that recently. <laughs> <laughs> and did you have to visit your attic to get any of the objects that we've got in front of us? Uh, I didn't actually, no, but this recently came from the attic, so yes. <laughs> uh, okay, yeah. Um, so one of the objects that we're looking at in front of us is, well, there's actually three, um, and they relate to your kind of upbringing, your education, um, this sort of creative process that is often quite precious when when we're young um, and influences us even today sometimes on that journey. And so just to tell people a little about, bit of what we're looking at, there's a beautiful uh, photograph of you sat um, on a quite a high chair, on quite a high mm. wooden chair, uh, that's been taken by somebody that's in another room because you can sort of see it's taken through the doorway, and you're on the phone, um, kind of clasping the phone with one hand, and then what looks to be a pencil and some paper with the other, yes. and <laughs> drawing. Um, and how old are you in that? Uh, I'm probably about seven, maybe. Out of thought, yeah. Or six, yeah, it's relatively young still. And it's I'm sure it was taken by my dad. He's very good at uh, spying and finding little moments <laughs> where he thought that he just liked what you were doing without you noticing that he was there. And I, I think, I, you know, I think it says quite a lot about me as a child. Um, uh, I, l I loved making things and drawing things and, and spent I've got an older brother and a younger sister but I think I spent a lot of time just in my own head actually <laughs> and then uh, creating the things that I needed um, to play and at the same time I've always been quite a sociable person I guess so to me that kind of says because I don't think I was speaking to anybody on the phone I was probably just being my mum chatting to someone but multitasking yeah I have to I have to draw at the same time <laughs> so yeah um 
Yeah, so I, I felt that said quite a lot, a lot about me as a child. Yeah, because um, what's where's the house? Where... That's uh, that's in Munich. I grew up in Munich. Um, that was the first house that I remember um, we lived in. Um, and there are quite a few items that I kind of recognise in the picture that are still. This is still in my parents' house, and it it's like a, it's something you put keys on, um, and it came from my grandparents' house. Um, there's a kind of slightly different tradition, I guess, and I don't know whether it's more of a, a, a German thing, um, but uh, I have lots of things that are passed on through generations. So even in my house now, we have lots of pieces of furniture and paintings, and there's a real tradition in Germany that you keep things and you kind of pass them on. And I've always really loved that, so I love seeing things like that because they're about a little bit more than just just you. Mm. You know, it's kind of where you come from, and I'm quite particular about keeping things for my children and that kind of leads us on to the other objects that you've kept which yes. are beautiful so the first um the first object is a leather a brown leather doll's shoe which is i can only say exquisitely made um uh, and has uh, shoelaces um and can you tell us a little bit about yeah. Um, about this doll's shoe. When I was a, a kind of young teenager, I guess, I wanted to earn some money like everyone, I guess. And uh, and I met um, a woman whose children went to the same school as mine. And she was a, a quite a big doll maker in Germany. She made porcelain dolls. She still does, actually. And um, she heard that I was quite good on a sewing machine and I loved making things. And so she said... Um, do you want to make some money by making the clothes for my dolls? So I started making money by <laughs> making me. miniature clothing, um, you know, which has been a, a, a theme ever since, I guess, making miniature things. When I make model pieces now, I sometimes really have to smile to myself and go, I cannot believe I got away with <laughs> doing this for my entire life. I'm still sitting here making miniature things and really loving it. So yes, that was that was great to have something to you know to be able to earn money with doing something as lovely as that. Yeah, it's beautiful. And then for it to be in the shop was quite incredible. You know. Yeah. Did 13. you used to go past and see yeah. see your things yeah. in the shop? Yeah. Oh, and did you have your own dolls, the porcelain dolls? Um, well, when I was uh, when I was fourteen, I went to a Steiner school, and one of the uh, the things that you do in year eight when you're about fourteen is that you have to set yourself a project over the year um something that you really you know you create yourself and you uh, um spend a lot of time on researching and making and she she said to me would you like to learn how to make porcelain dolls wow. so i uh, um i learned the whole process of kind of you know molding the the head and then you have to create the cast and then uh, you layer the porcelain inside um and when you take it out you can still shape it i didn't know that before so i, I had know. one mold for the head and the hands and the feet um, and then you can change um, still make changes a little bit like with clay um, so I made uh, doll, five dolls from different countries so they each had kind of you know um, came from a different country and therefore had different features or, or colours okay. and, um, and I made all the clothes and everything for them so that was fascinating wow yeah, at 14 I, I know and I still have them all <laughs> I just hope the moss haven't eaten <laughs> in the attic. In the attic, <laughs> yes, attic. Yeah. in the attic. Um, and the other object um, relating to that, I guess that similar period. Yeah. Um, I mean, this says 1986 on the front. 
um, so you would have been 15. Yes. Um, and it's, a, again, a beautifully handmade paper, what looks like to be a book. Um, and it's um, my German isn't great, so I'll let you read what's written it on the front. It says, uh, Die schönsten Buchzeichen, 1986, which means the most beautiful bookmarks. And um, my, um, I, th I guess one of my big inspirations in my life definitely has always been my dad, who was quite creative in his own way, but also uh, he loved books and he um, uh, he was just full of stories. And he had such a, because he had such a love for stories, I remember just, you know, him, him telling stories or reading, but then also just, you know, the way that he would say to you, you have to read this book, you know, it's about this and it's about that. And, you know, um, and then, or you could go to him and say, I really feel in this mood, what should I read? And he'll find the perfect book for you. Um, and um, so I guess the kind of, uh, I think the thing, one of the things that I share with him is, is um, uh, seeing worlds in my head, I definitely had that from when I was quite young that I could just conjure up things in my head and I loved doing it and sometimes even if a book was finished I would just kind of carry on a little bit <laughs> imagining it and because he loved books one of the things that he collected through his life were books, bookmarks so he's got okay. quite incredible kind of different kinds of bookmarks and um, and because I loved making things I, I kind of you know I didn't just wrap this present so I made him a bookmark um, but I made the box for it which looks like a book and then you open it and inside is a bookmark that I made I think it's school because it's driven copper so it's a leaf driven so it's it you have to you know um, driving coppers when you bang it, with bang it yeah. which is a thing that you know in Steiner school you do a lot of you learn a lot about different crafts and how to work with different materials which is you know very lucky but I, I love doing that but I love that it's also sitting on what looks to be a kind of satin cushion yes and there's two um two pins holding it in place yes. beautifully and it looks I mean it really doesn't look old um, oh, yeah. It's beautiful. And then at the back of the book, there's um, another there's one. Another... Yes, it's a it's a U. Uh, um, he was called Uwe, um, made which I think I found somewhere. It's made from horn. It looks very Bavarian to me. <laughs> and then I must have just plaited. I can't remember when I did that, but plaited three long strings of different colours thread with. A little silver bead at the end. So another book. It's just beautiful. At the um, end, back of the book. Yeah. And, and we were talking earlier about um, when we were talking about this photograph of you um, on the phone and kind of drawing about the sort of melancholy of reading or of solitude or of um, uh, spending time spending time alone. And I just wondered if you wanted to tell us a bit about about that because obviously it's a very fruitful place of imagining but also can be quite a quite a lonely place yeah um yes I mean I kind of exactly what you said I guess I mean that's what I remember from being a child and be you know people would always and you know call me or you know she's the melancholy one and it's interesting you now think about it what that might mean and uh you know and how the experience was from the inside then and how uh, I think about it now and um I think that um, 
I know that I always felt things very strongly. So my pa- I know that my parents kind of always made sure that I wasn't going to go and see the film that was too emotional, whatever, just because I took it on so much. And I think the mel- melancholy maybe comes from, came from experiencing things quite intensely. And then I think even as a child, I feel now looking back that I, you know, I, in order to find a balance with that, I, um, I wouldn't do things or make things or you know, um, create something out of what I was struggling with in order to not just sit there and dwell on it. Um, and and kind of, you know, and it is a lonely place. And I know that, you know, within the kind of, you know, I've got an older brother and a younger sister. I kind of spent quite a lot of time by myself, but I also really enjoyed it. I enjoyed that, uh, you know, and I still enjoy being by myself and um, spending time with my thoughts and uh and i think what i can already now see in this picture compared to where i'm now i still feel that what i creatively do is a a big balance to um uh my mental state where i'm mentally it's uh you know it's a a thing that i think i need to do in order to have a healthy balance in my life and in a way it's a great thing that you can find something that that provides you with um uh, with that kind of balance and that you can um, uh, therefore kind of slightly drive yourself in a way you know mm. it's kind of I, when I look at that I kind of feel like um, uh, it's it's how do you learn to live with the character that you've been given um, which is I think one yeah. of the biggest tasks that we have in life isn't it yeah. how can you live with yourself best yeah yeah and it sounds like um, an incredible childhood as well. We were talking about um, earlier that we'll come on to later of the, yes. the house that you spent a lot of time at, um, and also that the storytelling that your dad was such a um, that must have really influenced your, you know, um, your childhood a yes, lot. You know, it's yeah. reading and 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 storytelling and and his. Um, also his sort of like skill for making yes. and crafting it sounds like that was he was a really um, significant figure in he in, was. Yes. <laughs> in, yeah. in um, influencing that um, so I just wondered if you wanted to tell us a little bit about um, family today and um, obviously you're living in London and your your family uh, in Germany yes. um, but you also have a connection to Ireland um, so what, what does what does family look like for you now? You've obviously got your own children, yes. and um, I'm sure they're avid readers and makers as well. They are. <laughs> um, well, I I find family fascinating. I find fascinating, you know, where you come from. You know, also in a longer sense. Um, I you know how like which trades you pass on. You know, I was always really clear that you know like for example with my dad that we have a lot in common and um you know how how something like um a certain mentality or love for something how is that passed on how does that happen exactly and I can see I can see that a little bit in my um children as well and um and then actually kind of a sense of place and we're going to get to that in, in a little bit but um uh, you know that you you grow up somewhere, and I have you know um, obviously all my childhood memories are um, of Germany, um, and then at the same time I was feeling a little bit like I wasn't quite in the right place. Um, so I was very happy in my family and very happy in my school, um, 
but uh, I never quite felt like I was I fitted in exactly or it was probably interesting it's a kind of language isn't it it's like I didn't quite mm. understand people and people didn't quite understand me and there's something about kind of the German mentality that I find a bit scary even you know intimidating um, and so I always had that longing of wanting to go somewhere else um, and um, so I came on an exchange to England when I was uh, 16 because I really wanted to come here I don't know why but um uh, and it felt a little bit like coming home. It felt a bit like yeah. finding all of a sudden I was like, oh yes, now I get, I know I get people <laughs> and people get mean. I like the kind of, you know, I like the mentality and this like the kind of, you know, more easygoing nature of things. Yeah. Um, and I think again, it might be something I had from my dad because he had a similar thing of uh, maybe it's the Celtic thing. I don't know that got us because he he kind of had a real love for Ireland, um, which started way before he went there for the first time talking about it always like you know Ireland so he loved Irish literature and um uh, and people go so really so where have you been and he said I've never been <laughs> and then I think it was about nine when we went for the first time and it was the beginning of a love affair for him definitely oh. and for all of us I think yeah yeah sounds beautiful and we're going to come to yeah. um going to talk a bit about a bit more about Ireland later um and the I mean Anna you've really worked with and at some of the the sort of heavyweights in theatre um you know the the, the national theatre the Donmar where we are um the Royal Court the Royal Exchange um with theatre and opera and choreography um and one of the uh, the next sort of objects we're going to come on to is is a set piece is something from your creative practice and something from a show that you've that you've worked on um, that I have to say um, I'm really excited to talk about because it's one of the fav- one of my favourite shows that I've that I've seen in, in London, um, John with Deviate at the National Theatre, um, and just to tell our listeners a little bit about this object, it's a black card, uh, quite a heavy thick card uh, circle, which I think I'd be right in saying is but. About the size of a large dinner plate, yes. <laughs> um, but um, with no remnants of food on, but with um, some lines, um, some traces, um, marks that have been drawn on in um, what looks like a kind of a shiny black um, pen and a sort of a white tape. There's some things that were stuck on there. Okay, so, so there's some of it is glue, leftover glue, and these are the kind of remains of uprights that were stuck on it. Okay, so can you tell us a bit more about that, the the uprights that yes. were positioned on there? Um, so yeah, this piece, um, I'm, it's a f- it's a funny one because it's really just a bit of crappy card, and I'm not quite sure why I've not thrown it away. Um, and that's something quite interesting, isn't it? Why do you not throw something away that mm, really has that no value <laughs> at all? And it's not a piece of art and it's nothing kind of very beautiful at all. But I think uh, maybe the reason why I'm holding on to it is because it, it remind, firstly reminds me of a process that um, I really enjoyed and thought was fascinating and somehow maybe um, one of the most complete processes that I feel I've gone through um, with a design um, and what is left on this is kind of the traces of what happened so it feels a little bit like it's kind of this little bit of card has got the history of where my thoughts went as mm. I was working on it 
which is also a little bit a kind of, you know, I've, I feel very strongly about the traces that we all leave and that human life leaves, you know, whether it's in places or uh, locations or on items. And and obviously this was a story about uh, a man's life. And so, uh, you know, that's interesting as well. That it feels like, you know, in, in a small form, there are traces of his life still left on this piece of card. Mm. Um, and I guess to kind of... Uh, talk a bit more about you know but how how does got <laughs> how these traces got there um was that um when we first um started working on John it was very much just um uh, a rough idea of you know Lloyd was um Lloyd Newson was interviewing different people about uh their life stories and uh then um one of the first people who walked in to um, be interviewed by him was was this man called John, and I think Lloyd was very blown away by it, by this life that he had, which has felt like a life of twenty people. The amount of things mm. that happened to this man, and um, and and so rather than having a script or anything, I was already involved at the point where I just looked. Yeah, I was just sent things like. Um, uh, you know, police reports of an arrest that you know when he was arrested, uh, you know, because something happened. And so there were just little bits of information. There was no direction. There was no yet. You know, there was no story. There was, um, but we started talking about it, and we started talking about um, people's lives and how do you ever, um, how can you look at them and how can you make these certain events mean, uh, give them some meaning and. Um, and sometimes something is not a long thing, as in you can't. There's no. There's not a whole scene to write of it, but it's really important. It was like a, you know, these these things that sometimes happen that have got such a, a massive cut into someone's life. And I remember going home on the bus after a, a conversation, and I love being on the top of the bus in the evening, and you look out mm. and you can see into people's yeah. houses. And I don't know whether it was on that journey, but you know, things I remember looking into a house and. It was lit, and there was a man sitting on his own on his own at at the dinner, you know, at a kitchen table, and just you have a second of that, and in that second, you kind of go, is he, you know, is he just totally on his own, or actually, is he, you know, you get you you can potentially see vast amounts about someone's life in that one fleeting moment, mm. and how that is so much more powerful than me now telling you exactly what he was doing that evening and yes it was awful and he was really uh, you know lonely whatever but sometimes um, uh, if you um, sit on it for too long it actually loses its power the power sometimes really is just in these glimpses that you get of something so that and I think that's where the idea of the revolve came from that um, there's a there's a horrible um, rape um, um, scene that happened or kind of you know something that happened in his life and you know, you, it's kind of one of those things where you feel if you just put that on stage, and yes, it's kind of everyone's going to be uncomfortable and it's going to be horrible, but is it really as powerful as that thing where you go, oh my God, I did I just see that? Did that really, you know, and then you're left with it because you didn't quite fully see it and you have to really work it out and you're panicked by it. Mm. And um, so that, I guess that's where the idea of the kind of revolve came from, to kind of have a have a chance to let things just pass by the audience and maybe sometimes it's not more than one small image 
that you get and um and so just kind of come back to the this kind of the process was a long one it was probably at least a year of kind of on and off that we worked on it but it it meant us knowing that this is the shape we want to have this is movement we want to have and then kept replacing walls in order to kind of see how we can then as the scenes crystallized how can we um, change it so every time we show a different perspective of this man's life? And the great thing, I guess, wasn't going back to why I feel that that is one of the most complete pieces I feel I've done is because it's it doesn't it didn't separate between design or story or um, choreography or direction or performer. It um you know the design wasn't something that was illustrating or beautiful or I kind of didn't try to recreate kind of certain things that were needed. It was just about finding a language to tell the story and um the choreography because we were able to have a revolve in the rehearsal room for quite a long time was choreographed to how the room was changing and mm. then if he wanted to do something and then I changed the room and then yeah. So it was a kind of, it was a perfect collaboration in the sense that you go back and forth and back and forth and between all these different disciplines until you feel like you've got somewhere. You could have gone on forever, I'm sure, but (laughs) yeah. Yeah, I think for me as an audience watching it, I remember being struck by the synchronicity of seeing dialogue, design, um, the direction of it, the, the you know the body um, just all in this incredible um, synchronicity um, on stage um, and it's so interesting to hear about your process of creating it um, allowing space for that to happen and how um, it also kind of makes me think about the you know the role of um, of the word mm. on stage and its relationship to the design. Yes, and how here that sounds like there was a real opportunity from the beginning of it because the because it was a piece of it's a piece of verbatim new writing yes. that was created in collabor- true collaboration with you and and the design process. Yeah, um, would you say that's quite unique, or are there other projects where you've had an opportunity to to work in the same way? Um, I mean, I do think that particular one was unique. I mean, I I I try and work like that as much as I can. I think the uniqueness comes probably from the uh, the fact that, you know, DVA at the time was its own company and not linked to a building. And I think, um, you know, for buildings, it's um, you, because you have to fit into a schedule and, you know, the... Um, the amount you that of time that's given to a project or or even money sometimes is you know it's it's a bit like it's a bit more like a machine that has to kind of churn these things out with this you know it's it's something where you know Lloyd wants to create a piece of work and if he then very early on in one week we just hired a revolve for five days and that was the first thing where we going this is this is actually working as an idea and it was very informative we changed things and then we had a revolve in a rehearsal room for nearly uh, three months I think with an operator there timing everything to the choreography you can't do that in a normal rehearsal process mm. so I wish sometimes there was more opportunity to develop work in different ways other than you know your four or five rehearsal, rehearsal period and you're, I mean Lloyd texts forever you know I think we had two weeks in London then took it to uh, I think Stockholm first where you have another two weeks before you do like a 
preview showing and then we went to Oslo and had another two weeks of tech before we had another couple of preview showings. So this oh. is a totally different process than um, you would have anywhere else. Talking about time and traces, the the um, circle now reminds me of a clock face. Oh, yes. It's kind of yeah, some yeah, sort yeah. of abstract time with three three lines on yes. it. Um, and it's, yeah, it's so fascinating that, isn't it? The... Um, traces of our lives and the you know the traces of this of of John's experiences um and and us seeing that within I mean I can't remember how long the show was how long did the show yeah, but uh, yeah how long as in the evening was yeah, the uh, evening. just over two hours it was I think two hours, it was long it? and yeah. there was no interval so you were sort yes. of I remember sitting there yes, being just was, totally mm. enthralled by mm. by the the movement and by the story as well mm. of, of his life mm. um and the entrances the, you know the, the doorways that he is kind of moving through and yes. the at one moment the fire that erupts oh, yeah. and then is yeah. kind of extinguished and um just yeah such an um an incredible artwork i think for me it was like watching um something that wouldn't be out of place in a gallery you know yes. i mean that's yeah that's kind of more my territory <laughs> it was um yeah just a um, incredible, incredible piece of work, and great to hear a bit about the background of that. And it, and it sounds like it sort of, I mean, did it then? Is it is it a piece of work that for you kind of shaped what came afterwards, or uh, what came before? Was it an opportunity to to work in a way or create something about these kind of real lived experiences yeah. that was important for you? Um, a bit of both, probably. I think um, it's definitely been uh, the kind of way of working and and kind of uh, um, having a freedom of how you um, might want to represent, um, you know, a subject or a story um, that I've always kind of wanted to do. And, um, you know, uh, and I think the freedom as a, as an artist and designer to choose your language with um you know um each project differently and you know I've, i did have done quite a lot of abstract designs and i i think um there's always a lot of work that goes into that people think oh well you just kind of done something really simple and it's really easy <laughs> but um if you really do it i think it's a very long process because yeah. you do all of the other things first and then it's about keep taking you keep taking away what's not necessary um, and or, or kind of, you know, in that case, it wasn't about, like I said, the backdrop of each of these scenes. It's about um, an atmosphere and how do you, how do you give a sense of space to all of these places? So I, I guess it was very strongly for me. I felt very strongly in that, that, you know, this scene happens in a corridor. This one is really closed and the next one is totally flat and exposed. So it was much more about those kind of... Uh, um, energies rather than um anything else um and and of course because you then you have you you've done that it does it you know it does continue so it does influence what comes after but maybe also i feel i as a designer for theater that it may be also having been able to go that far with something into a very different and like you say not, not typically theatrical mm. place that i equally feel that it's um you know there there's another story that really just wants an honest room you know a room that you can smell and touch and that's okay too and that's actually one of the things I love about theatre is that it is you know there's so many different ways of doing it so many different mm. ways mm. we probably don't 
explored enough mm. in general but um uh, and sadly sometimes time is you know time and money is what kind of stops the mm. period of exploration but um yes that is as possible to do on the stage mm. um than something that is far more traditional and I love what you're saying about almost how those moments are, those fleeting moments are kind of cohabiting on the same space yes. um, at the same moment um, and that we are um, kind of frantically um, under, try, sort of like trying to, to capture, um, capture and in some ways kind of freeze those moments. Um, but the unrelenting yes, um, momen- momentum yes. and, and yeah of, of, of life is very real as well yeah. as very abstract um, and that what you were talking about that sort of sense of of space and place and and atmosphere and creating those atmospheres mm. through, through place I thought kind of leads us on to our third object um that we've got which is a place um (laughs) that's um significant to you um and the photograph that we're looking at is of a beautiful white manor house Mm. set in the countryside kind of flanked on either side by these beautiful trees and a huge green expanse in front of it with some daffodils i think growing um and a large wide staircase leading up to the front door and on the uh, front door on the sort of porch area looks to be a table um, a big table um, with a group of people um, sat around having dinner I think um, and so I just wondered if you could tell us a bit more about this this day what was what was what was happening um, well this is uh, this is of how family holiday house that sounds very grand but um <laughs> that uh, my family had an island i'd tell you a little bit more about the story how we happened to end up there um but at this particular day uh you know clearly it was easter i think we must have all gone there it looks like a few more people than just my family so we always had people come with us mm. um and um I guess that was you know, a quite quite a specifically German moment, as in, you know, the evening sun is at the front of the house. You'd always enter the house at the back, and there was lots of space to sit, and there's a terrace out the back. But if the sun is in the front, yeah. <laughs> then you just take your dinner table out and put it up on those big grand steps that definitely weren't made to have dinner out there and just, uh, yeah, have dinner in the evening sunshine. And I remember our Irish friends looking at us totally bewildered thinking what are they doing <laughs> I think it's beautiful yeah um yes and, and so how did you come to um what was your connection with Ireland you said earlier your dad really loved um, yes. Irish literature and that he'd he never been there was this never the been. first time yes. no that was that was not not definitely not the first time but um yes so we, there wasn't really a kind of connection other than my dad for years saying uh, well, loving Irish literature and saying I love Ireland and everyone kept saying where have you been then you know which bit do you love, like and he went I've never been <laughs> so um, we went on a family holiday then finally to Ireland and um, and I think uh, something that I really as a child already um, experienced and could really see is that it was like someone maybe what happened to me later someone finding the place where they were meant to be um, and from then on, whenever we did go to Ireland, it felt like as soon as we were on the land, 
um, my father just became a different person. It was like, you know, something that seemed to be weighing on him fell off him and he just seemed to fit into the countryside, fit it into the people. You put him in an Irish pub and you totally blend in. Um, and uh, so my mum my at that point um, made an inheritance, a very kind of, you know, distant, strange, sudden, weird thing that happened. And so my parents went, OK, well, let's buy a house in Ireland. And my mum's idea was we're going to get this little thatched cottage and she could put her feet up and we go on holiday and it would be lovely and easygoing. And, um, and then my dad found this ruin of, <laughs> of a Georgian country house um, and they bought it and it was just a totally mad project I guess maybe I that that it, there is something in that whole idea that I really love and I do think it really influenced me as well that crazy mm. idea of buying this massive thing um and uh so they had the money to do most of it up and then the money ran out and then it was all about kind of every holiday was painting door frames and doing this and that and because it was so big we could invite lots of people so we would spend all summer there and people would come and go from germany mainly and the 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 kind of token payment was painting a door <laughs> uh, or whatever needed to be done and um just having these incredible times in this setting, it's in County Mayo, it's in the middle of absolutely nowhere. Um, and uh, I, f- I f- equally find, you know, the Irish countryside quite mind-blowing. And um, you feel like you can, there's a kind of sense of freedom and kind of being able to breathe. And I think Ireland, I always understand why so many stories come come out of Ireland, because mm. I think you, it's like it's speaking stories to you. It's just full of of kind of a, I don't know, a mythical sense. It's very mm. strange. Um, and But then also I think um, I have a really strong feeling about, uh, always about um, places and history of places, but more of a history of of other human beings having been there, the, pre- the, the kind of the presence of the past. In, uh, and I think, you know, that house you know, at the time was a couple of hundred years old already, so you felt really strongly that it had a past. And we knew a lot of the history, actually, at least a recent one. Um, and then you build your own history in it, you know. And, and I, I think um, seeing my dad renovated and doing, you know, putting a lot of effort into all of little details and restoring bits, you know, lovingly. And um, and us over the years, each kind of, you know, I did some paintings on the wall that then stayed there forever, you know, so you kind of see what you've painted when you were, you know, five or six years younger than mm. you are now. And, um, uh, yes, so I guess a, a sense of history in places. And then my brother got married there and I got married in the house. Wow, it sounds like a very precious place. Yes. Do you still do you still go back there? No. So I think um, it's also probably the most emotional place for me. I felt it was more connected to it than um, going back to Germany and um, and I th- I guess it kind of you know brings me to two well to one quite uh, big event in my life um, which changed all that um, and probably changed my relationship also to um, my childhood and my past and how I look at it um, when I was 24 just before I graduated um, or two weeks before I graduated my father a very unexpectedly committed suicide and um and that's um everything changed mm. um yeah. and so my life before is feels like a different life than um, the life after and um 
you have to reconsider everything and you know um, where you come from what you've been given from your parents and you know all of a sudden something like everyone saying you're you're so much like your dad you know and it used to be a lovely thing all of a sudden becomes a bit of a it becomes like a um, you know a prediction of how you will end um, mm-hmm. and it was quite you know so just things like that so you kind of um, uh, it requires you to rework everything that you thought before and also I think if it's a parent um, it's everything that you think you've learned and how the work the world works and how you should behave and who you are whatever feels like it felt like it had the rug had been pulled from under my feet and everything Mm. had been turned upside down Um, and your childhood ends very abruptly because Mm. you're you know everything that has to do with safety and uh, a kind of um, yeah you know the understanding what safety is and what family is is gone also because you all of a sudden have another parent who is now n- of need as in you know I I couldn't go to my mum anymore and go I'm really not feeling well or whatever because she she was not feeling well mm. so um, and uh, and so if, but we kept this we kept this house it's called was called Enfield House. Um, we kept it for quite a few more years afterwards um, because it felt to all of us that his spirit was most in that house because he'd absolutely kind of you know renovated it, created it. Um, and but you know for us individually, as you're growing up and you're kind of studying, you're becoming your, you want to create your own life. It's, it ended a big house like this ended up being quite a burden. And when I got married, for example, my dad was already he'd already died so it um he wasn't there for that but um so we did our best to keep it and it it kind of felt like one after the next we kind of realized that it was probably too much and I was the last one to cave in and I'm very grateful to my siblings and my mum that they gave me the time you know they really Mm -hmm. waited until I was ready to let go um and then we had to sell it and I just and I didn't I had not not necessarily consciously, deliberately, but I didn't go back to Ireland until this spring, so 14 years after. Oh, so recent, only recently? Yes, because my children really wanted to go. They kept saying, we have, you know, we, you've never taken us, we really need to see. Um, we want to go to Ireland. Yeah, so that was quite a special thing to do. Yeah, that sounds... And um, did you go back to the same sort of area? We did, because friend of ours had a ha- have a tiny house nearby, <laughs> the right-sized house. <laughs> and so they, they always kind of, you know, I, I could go there any time, which is lovely, you know. So um, we went and stayed there, and my sister came with her family. So it was, um, it, it, it was a lovely thing to do. And I went up to the house, just to the gate, um, uh, which was okay and the people asked whether we wanted to come and see it and I did not feel ready to go inside so mm. you know mm. places are powerful aren't they they are powerful yes and then it's the kind of whole question of memory isn't it of kind of how much do you want to just keep the memory because it will be very different now mm. and how much do you uh, you know want to go back and kind of make peace with your demons but um, and I dream about it a lot about this house Oh, interesting. Yeah. yeah, about getting it back. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe that's my yes. real life aim, is to get yes. this house back. <laughs> but it's not like the it's... house. It's like you, like you said, it's not, you know, I know you kind of go, well, it's just a house, but it's not. It's a place. Yeah. It's history. Yeah. yeah. And it's sense of family kind of coming back to that, I guess. Yeah. 
Yeah. Wow. It, I mean, it just it looks stunning. Like I was saying, it reminds me of a house near where I grew up in Wales. Um, and yeah, beautiful place. And we were talking earlier about the, you know, the importance of place in um, the kind of what can often be the franticness of freelancing and working yes. on multiple projects and having the kind of the busyness and the quietness and um you know and I think it's it's easy isn't it to look at um to look at someone's career today um that is you know you're doing such incredible work um and and often not see the the journey that people have been on to yes to to arrive there um and the very real um things that that happen in our lives along the way and I just wondered if, um, you know, thinking back to when you were a student or to to, to moments when you were um, starting out, what kind of advice you might give to yourself based on, yes. <laughs> on the wonderful thing that is hindsight. Um, yeah, just to sort of, to also speak to maybe some of the people that are listening to this that are in that place of starting out, um, what advice would you give to yourself? Um, I think probably to to stay true to yourself and to um, you know the most important voice to listen to is probably your own voice. What is it that you um, want to do? How do you want to live your life? How do you want to treat people? How? What kind of artist do you want to be? And um, it's so difficult I think in uh, our society but also you know I guess in this business is you know you it's you're constantly looking around yourself and it's very easy to kind of go you know just get lost in so and so is doing this and you know why are they kind of there and I'm not there and um, I think that can be quite um, uh quite devastating and hold you up and you it can eat you up really I think they're kind of looking to the sides and it's a natural thing to do but um, like you just said as you never can see behind that you know I sometimes feel that you know um, it's taken me a long time to get to where I am now I didn't have an easy path you know I didn't have an easy path I, I guess kind of just normal ladder stepping but probably because I have had you know several things happen to me in my life that had to do with you know grief and loss and that takes a lot of time and you don't know if that is happening to someone else um and they're actually the things that really shape you you know i know i i am who i am today or the qualities in me that i like and i'm proud of have come from the difficult things that i had to go through and um i really wouldn't want to miss them you know but uh um, I know that the kind of the times when I was most worried and depressed about, you know, why it's not going, you know, um, faster or better had to do with kind of looking around at other people who are faster. And it is irrelevant, really. It's your your story is your story. And your the way you get to things is, you know, the way you do it. But also, I think definitely, though, to kind of look forward and kind of keep working on it and believing in yourself and driving it on Um uh, we touched earlier quickly on kind of you know when I first had children I didn't feel that um, uh, well you know my work environment wasn't encouraging and it wasn't supportive and um, and I nearly stopped uh, work 
not deliberately I didn't have work and then started doing something else just to not um you know get too depressed about it really um and and so pushing through that time and that was quite a few years um uh is I could easily have given up, but it was kind of the sense of knowing that this this is who I am and this is what I need to do. It's part of uh, it's part of uh, it's part of me and it's part of me needing to express myself. Um, and uh, you, you know, it's a part of me find that's my way of keeping my mental balance. Um, and I will do it. I will just do it, whatever, you know, uh, maybe it's a slightly different uh, direction and I went in a slightly different direction for a while, but maybe just in order to not feel like the person anymore that was needy, because as a designer, the problem is, is that you can't, there's no place to ask for work, you know, you kind of, you or you can't create your own projects, you can't take something to a theatre and go, why don't, you know, we do this play, and they go, well, yeah, but who's directing it? You know, you have mm. to wait until someone asks you, it's a horrible situation to be in, because you can't be so, you can't pre- be proactive about it. Um, so I very much at that point then felt, well, I'm just going to do something else. And the interesting thing is that when you're busy and you're kind of doing something exciting, even if it's different, and people go, oh, look, you know, what's she doing? And then you kind of, uh, um, yeah, back in the in the kind of realm of people who seem to have something to give. So I think it's it's a kind of keeping, to, to keep going with um, what it is that you do. And... Uh, um, just stick to it oh no and I know it's very easy now to just kind of say you shouldn't worry but um because that's what we do isn't it when we look forward we always worry about the future um but yeah I hope that answered your question (laughs) I think that's I think that's um I think that's a great place to finish okay um and a great um thank you for sharing these objects and these moments um in time with us and for framing your journey in such a beautiful way and um yeah for giving us for giving us such a insight to your practice and your process and um and where you've come from and where you're going thank you so much pleasure thank you you've been listening to the donmar on design podcast series Visit donmarwarehouse.com to find more podcasts with our world-class theatre makers.